It's August 19th, 2022, and this is your DSR Daily Brief. I'm Grant Haver. And I'm Chris Cotnor. Our top stories today. We have an update for you on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine, which has been occupied by the Russians since March. Russia has rejected appeals for a complete demilitarization of the area around the plant. The move would make the plant more vulnerable, a Russian official said. Following a meeting in Kyiv yesterday, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres sounded the alarm, saying any potential damage to Zaporizhia is suicide. Three of the four power supply lines linking the plant to the Ukrainian national grid have been damaged by shelling, and Ukraine's nuclear regulator has warned that a complete loss of power would mean that nuclear fuel will begin melting, resulting in a release of radioactive substances to the environment. We'll continue to monitor the situation. Kim Yo-jong, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's powerful sister, has slammed Seoul's offer of economic aid in return for denuclearization steps, calling it the height of absurdity. No one barters their destiny for corn cake, she said in a statement. South Korea's presidential office said it regretted her rude remarks, but that the offer still stands. North Korea's attitude is in no way helpful to the peace and prosperity of the Korean peninsula, as well as our own future, it said. India's decision to allow voting rights to any Indian citizen living temporarily in India-administered Kashmir has again ignited anger and fears of an attempted Hindu nationalist government to change the demography of its only Muslim-majority region. The move, announced on Wednesday by the federally controlled territory's top electoral officer, is expected to add about 2.5 million more voters on top of the 7.6 million existing voters, a whopping 30% increase. The new voters would include Indians temporarily residing in the region, mainly Indian military personnel government and private sector employees, and migrant workers. Kashmiri politicians and India's opposition parties have condemned the government's new election rules. Mabuba Mufti, the former chief minister of Indian-administered Kashmir, described the move as the last nail in the coffin of electoral democracy in the region. Elsewhere, Russian patriotic hackers hit Estonia's public institutions and private companies with a cyber attack Wednesday following the country's removal of a Soviet tank monument and its decision to cancel tourist visas for Russians. The attacks were largely ineffective as government services continued to operate with some brief and minor exceptions, and the attack has gone largely unnoticed in Estonia. The Russian group Killnet claimed the attack on their Telegram channel, Reuters reported. Estonia's cybersecurity authority told local media that 12 attacks were targeted at state institutions and four at private sector organizations. In nine of the attacks, no impact was detected, and in seven attacks, interruptions to services may have occurred for several minutes. 
the vice president of Paraguay, has reversed a plan to resign this week, saying he will not give up his post until he has details of the United States' corruption claims against him. Hugo Velazquez told reporters on Thursday that he had initially offered to resign last week as he assumed there was a domestic investigation against him. But on Wednesday, he received notice from the Paraguay's prosecutor's office stating that there is no case against me, Velazquez said. Last Friday, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said a Velazquez associate had offered a bribe to a Paraguayan public official to obstruct an investigation that threatened the vice president and his financial interests. Blinken said Velazquez would be barred from entering the U.S. due to his involvement in significant corruption, including bribery of a public official and interference in public processes. The accusation unleashed a political earthquake in Paraguay, where Velazquez was set to be the government's presidential candidate in primary elections for the conservative Colorado Party in December. A Saudi court has sentenced a doctoral student to 34 years in prison for spreading rumors and retweeting dissidents, according to court documents obtained Thursday, a decision that has drawn global condemnation. Activists and lawyers consider the sentence against Salma al-Shihab, a mother of two and a researcher at Leeds University in Britain, shocking even by Saudi standards of justice. The specialized criminal court handed down the unusually harsh 34-year sentence under Saudi counterterrorism and cybercrime laws to be followed by a 34-year travel ban. Al-Shihab told judges she had no idea that simply retweeting posts out of curiosity and to observe others' viewpoints from a personal account with no more than 2,000 followers constituted terrorism. Serbia and Kosovo failed to reach a solution over recent disputes in the region at EU-mediated talks in Brussels yesterday, but the two Balkan nations did agree to continue talking, EU foreign policy head Josep Borrell said. On July 31st, ethnic Serbs in northern Kosovo blocked roads and erected barricades in response to a dispute over license plates. Kosovo tried to order Serbian vehicles to switch plates to ones from Pristina, the capital of Kosovo, while routed through the country. The two sides are also at odds over entry-exit documents between the two nations. Both Serbia and Kosovo aim to join the European Union. To formally begin the path towards membership, both countries must resolve lingering disputes and border issues. There are currently 3,700 NATO troops stationed in Kosovo to maintain a fragile peace. In lighter news, Japanese officials worried about shifting demographics and a sharp decline in SIN tax revenue have come up with an unusual fix for their fiscal woes, encouraging young people to drink more. Saki Viva a contest run by the nation's tax agency is calling on people ages 20 to 39 to come up with business plans to help revive Japan's drinking culture 
long an integral part of corporate life in the East Asian nation. Liquor tax revenue in fiscal year 2020 was about $8.4 billion, a plunge of more than $813 million from the previous year, according to government data. The unorthodox push by bureaucrats to revitalize the liquor industry has faced backlash on social media. No major Japanese alcohol manufacturers have publicly indicated their support. That's all the news we have for you this week. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that more people can find the show. If you have a tip, topic, or correction you'd like to flag for us, please email us at podcasts at thedsrnetwork.com. Members of the DSR Network will receive an evening newsletter version of the DSR Daily Brief and bonus weekend briefs. This weekend, we'll speak with Mike Sexton, a senior advisor for cyber at Third Way, about the recent passage of the CHIPS Act. Go to the DSRnetwork.com and become a member to make sure you never miss any of our analysis. If you want more in-depth discussion of these issues, be sure to follow the links in the show notes to read our sources and tune into our sister podcasts on the DSR Network. Stay safe and stay tuned to the DSR Daily Brief.